when our family lived in Minnesota, uh, one day Jody and I went on a, a little outing with uh, a colleague of mine, a pastor friend of mine named Stan. We went out with his, he and his wife. Her name was Jan, so it was Stan and Jan. And Stan, my friend, had uh, just purchased a very used, about 16 or 17 foot runaway, uh, runaway, not runaway, but runabout boat. Uh, it felt like a runaway occasionally. And we went out on this massive big lake uh, right outside Minneapolis called Lake Minnetonka. And so Stan had only had his boat out a couple times. So to be honest with you, uh, I was just a little bit nervous. But we, anyway, we met them at the dock and, and we got on his boat. And I noticed a couple clouds rolling in and I said, Stan, is this going to be okay? And a couple things you need to know about Stan. First is, uh, he is the first person I met that truly mastered the art of using the short version of my name, Phil, in two syllables. I would see Stan and he would say, feel, like that, all the time. And the second thing you need to know about Stan is that Stan is the guy who inspired me to purchase my own uh, used uh, runabout uh, boat just a little bit later. Now, why is this? Is it because that Stan was an extraordinary uh, boater? Uh, is it because he was just had this just innate nautical ability? No, it's because I thought if Stan can do this, anybody can do this. And so with all this in mind, uh, Jody and I uh, got on the boat with Stan and Jan, and we headed out across Lake Minnetonka. Well, while we were uh, heading out, I noticed even more clouds rolling in. And occasionally I would say, you know, Stan, are you sure this is going to be okay? Oh, sure, feel. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And so we get out, and we're about halfway across Lake Minnetonka, and uh, it's starting to get really choppy. And this little 16-foot runabout starts to feel like sort of an igloo cooler-sized boat uh, on Lake Minnetonka, and start to hear rolls of thunder, and I start saying to Stan, Stan, we need to get off this lake. And he says, oh, we're okay, we're okay. And I said, no, Stan, we really need to get off this lake. And I started looking around at private homes because we couldn't see a public dock anywhere. And I said, you know, you need to take this thing and beach it at that private home. We'll just go knock on the door and ask them if we can stay in their house for a while. He said, no, no, you got to have faith. you got to have faith. And I was like, okay, this is too far. And my faith is back on the dock, by the way. It wasn't in the boat with Stan at that moment. And all of a sudden, and I can see it in my mind's eye just like it was yesterday, all of a sudden, this just massive bolt of lightning just cracked out of the sky and touched down on the lake in the distance. And Stan looked at me and said, Phil, we need to get out of here. I'm like, okay, no kidding. Well, we finally make it over to uh, a public dock. He did get us home safely. Um, and as I said, even though I had this experience with Stan, uh, we still uh, purchased our own little boat uh, a couple of months later. That's a set of stories for another time. Storms can come into our lives, sometimes without a lot of warning, can't they? They come in and they unsettle us. They shake us to our core and they make us feel insecure. Some storms come into our lives in such a way that all we can think about is heading to the nearest dock that we can find. Now, anxiety is a natural response to a storm. It's in that category of, of flight or fight type of reactions when we sense danger. But we know that we can't stay in that high-octane 
type of reaction, can we? We can't sustain that kind of emotional intensity without it harming us and others around us. Then there are those low-burning anxieties that we bring into our own lives because of our own frailties and fractures and brokenness. And in some ways, many of us may live with a certain level of anxiety because we just don't know how to find safe shelter in the storms of life. And we've not developed the spiritual practices that would lead us to find shelter in the midst of the storm. So I think it's fitting in the middle of this season in which we find ourselves, this incredible time of uncertainty about the future, that we take a look at how we as people of faith can, can strengthen our response to anxiety. That kind of anxiety that can sort of just invade your life and pull you to pieces and rob you of the power and the peace and the joy that Jesus brings us. Our text today was written by St. Paul, a man who experienced all kinds of storms in life, actually including being shipwrecked. And it's really interesting in the text that that Brian read earlier, at the very end of encouraging the Philippians to to take their anxieties and, and just offer them up to the Lord. And after all of this text, we see Paul saying, now just, just as, as you see me following the Lord, you do what I'm doing too. And I don't take St. Paul as someone who was bragging there as much as he had experience and he knew what it was like to find peace in the middle of the storm. Now before we look at the text, let me just offer a, an ancient image. One of, the, one of the earliest images of the church of Jesus was that of a ship. And the church was seen and imaged as a ship much like the the ark was for Noah and his family and how the ark brought Noah and his family to safety and salvation. And the church had this sort of image. And if you go into even some churches today and you look up at the ceiling, you can see the hull of a ship. Now, it's, it's fascinating when we think about a ship. Most sailors would tell you, I think all would, that the very safest place for a ship to be in the middle of the storm is not not on the dock and not in the harbor, but indeed out in the middle of the sea. And what's fascinating in old days of sailing, and maybe it still occurs in in some places today, but in, in the old days there was this technique that a larger ship would use called kedging. And with kedging, what would happen is when a a ship could not go in the direction it needed to go, the anchor of that larger ship would be taken and placed in a smaller ship. And the smaller ship would then row out in the direction the ship should go and then drop the anchor, and the larger ship would go toward the anchor. It would then, the anchor would be picked up, put in the smaller boat, and it would row out again, and the larger boat would keep going until it ended up where it actually needed to be, kedging. Now, what's interesting is when we normally think about an anchor, we normally think about an anchor keeping something in place. But here with this technique called kedging, we see the anchor actually leading the way and guiding the boat to that peaceful place of where it needs to be. And so as we take a look at our text, what we find is we find two powerful materials or two powerful characteristics of the anchor 
that the Lord brings into our lives that helps us to guide our lives into the peaceful waters. And the first one is the anchor or the the actual uh, nature of the presence of God. There's a story from the life of Jesus where we find Jesus and his disciples in a boat in the middle of a storm. Jesus was in the stern of the boat sleeping on a cushion. And I love the detail that we have there. I mean, this, you know, Jesus could take a power nap in the middle of a powerful storm. And this storm is just swirling around and the disciples are afraid. And they go to wake up Jesus. And what do you think they say to Jesus when they go to wake him up? Do they say, hey, Jesus, we just need you for a little bit here, or uh, Jesus, we need to, you to, to take the, the realm of the ship and help us get out of this? No. What they say to Jesus is, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So I can imagine Jesus here, as he gets up, I can imagine he's a little bit annoyed. Most people are when they're woken up quickly from a nap. And he said to the storm, quiet, or uh, older translations say, peace, be still. The storm died down, and Jesus then rebuked his disciples for not having faith. You know, a professor of mine said the disciples settled here. Yes, they got to see the miracle of Jesus calming the storm but they could have also had the experience and the adventure and so much more of riding with Jesus and holding on to Jesus through the storm. Because, see, later the disciples would experience storms in their life that Jesus would not calm, that Jesus would not make go away, but indeed God through the Holy Spirit would come to them and carry them through the storms in their lives. Well, in our text, verses 4 through 7, they're just filled with images of the presence of God through His Spirit indwelling the life of the Christian. Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in. You see that, that, that sense of presence there? Rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul is not saying here to jump up and down and to do a cheer when a storm is in your life. He's not saying put your head in the sand and deny that you are going through a storm. I mean, that is flat-out delusional, and it's not healthy. Let me hit the pause button for a second. We need to acknowledge our pain and our grief in the midst of this pandemic. Some have lost loved ones that we know and we love, and we weep with them. Others have lost jobs, and we stand with them and join them in their struggle. We have all lost, at least temporarily, a way of life. And let me be candid here. There are some aspects of congregational life that may not be the same for a really long time. We need to acknowledge our pain and our grief. I read an update from one of our missionaries, David Bushman, whom we support, who serves on the campus of Princeton University. And he said in this update that the loss to students is significant. He wrote, Seniors lost a lot. Final season, post-thesis, reunions, graduation, goodbyes, including rescinded job offers. The abrupt end made it hard to absorb psychologically what it all means. And I think we're still in that process, to be honest. Obviously, young adults are as adaptive and resilient and healthy as any age demographic. But this is uncharted territory for them, too. And as we've grappled with this new reality through a Christian lens, we've tried to be honest, grateful for what was, lament the losses, 
Consider hope for the future and available choices. I encourage you to continue praying. Or remember David uh, in your prayers as he shepherds those students he still has contact with through this time. You know, sometimes we forget the impact of this time on young adults. So Paul here is not saying deny your pain and grief. But what he is saying is that we should rejoice in the Lord. And why? Because the Lord is near. That the Lord is near to us in the midst of the storm. Paul goes on to write, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, let me get straight here. Let me get this straight. Is he saying in some situations? Brian, is he saying in some situations? No. Brian is saying in every situation. He's not saying in a pandemic you're on your own. No. What he's saying is he is near to you now. And in every situation, no matter what the nature of your storm, take your storm to God and just lay it at his feet and do it with thanksgiving. Now, you may be saying, you know, Phil, you've lost me here. or Paul has lost me here. They've just taken this too far. I am not about to go to God and be thankful in a time of the pandemic and thankful at this moment. What does he mean here? You see, when we usually pray to God to take the storm away, we usually say, God, take it away. And then we go to the place of thanksgiving. You know, God, thank you for taking the storm away. But what Paul means here is to go to God in prayer and thank God in advance for how God is going to work His sovereign will and His sovereign grace through the storm. God comes to you and He promises to calm the storm or to calm you in the storm. So back on the lake with Stan and Jan, I should have prayed. I should have prayed, Lord, I thank you in advance that you are either going to take us to safety or you're going to take us home to heaven, one or the other. I should have prayed that. I didn't, I'll be honest with you. But seriously, when we pray with thanksgiving, we are acknowledging that we trust God in how God will work. I know it's hard and I know it's challenging. But one of the things, if we would just offer in advance, God, thank you. Thank you for your presence in my life. Thank you, God, for how you're going to work. We move to that place of trust and confidence and faith in the Lord. One more phrase, and this might be my favorite. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at how active this is. God's peace, the Prince of Peace, will get up and go to work for you each day in your storm. The peace that this world can't even begin to imagine or the peace that this world, and the way the term world here is used as those in opposite of God. So the peace that the world can't even comprehend or imagine will guard your heart and your mind. Now, in the word uh, there for, for guard, the image there is of soldiers encircling a city and protecting it on every side. In your storm, the Prince of Peace comes to you and encircles your heart 
you know, I just encourage you, you know, if, if, if you're having a difficult time, draw a heart and draw a circle around it. And then on the outside, write the peace of God. The peace of God comes to you and encircles your heart and encircles your mind. And it's constantly at the ready, guarding your mind from anxious thoughts and your heart from anxious feelings. So the presence of God, which we actively invite to our lives, is a powerful part of that anchor. And then the second part is the Word of God. In the second part of our text, Paul encourages us to think about whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and noteworthy. You know, one scholar wrote that those first three words, true, noble, and right, refer to sound doctrine and the correct teaching and application of the Word of God. Paul is saying here, if you want peace in the swirling seas of life, allow your mind to go to Scripture where we learn about God's promises to be faithful to us, where we learn about God's incredible sacrificial love for us in Jesus. I can't encourage you enough during this time to memorize Scripture and bring it to mind when you feel anxiety rising up in you. You know, one of the passages of Scripture that I've shared with you throughout this time that just means so much to me is the the passage from 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 that as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will lift us up in due time, you know, His due time, not necessarily our time, but He'll lift us up in His due time Therefore, we can cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Think about what is true, noble, and right. You know, so much anxiety comes from thinking about what is false, allowing our minds to be filled with negative thoughts or allowing our minds to dwell on that which is not praiseworthy. Again, this is countercultural. Our culture would tell us that when we're anxious to completely clear our minds or to think about butterflies and puppies or uh, to go to the beach and stick our our toes in the sand and just listen to the surf and, and the waves and everything. But Paul is saying here, no, don't do this. Paul is saying don't go mindless. No, dwell on the Word of God and dwell on the promises and the goodness of God. Let me offer a few suggestions as anxiety, if it rises up in you, dwell on your confession of Jesus as Lord. You know, when we read all throughout the pages of Scripture, one glaring promise stands true is that Jesus is the Lord over all things. And Jesus is the Lord of life. Remember your baptism. You know, the the, the beautiful imagery of baptism is that we are buried with Christ We're buried with Him in baptism. And then we're raised to new life in Him. And just constantly remind yourself of your baptism and your baptismal vows of how you have died to the anxious self. You've died to self and you're raised to Him in new and glorious life. Recall verses of Scripture that have carried you in the past. Claim the promises of God. And then lastly, a last suggestion I would suggest is count and name your blessings. Count and name your blessings. If you find anxiety just rising up in you, just make sure you go to that place of gratitude and actually list out your blessings. Maybe you need to put them on a sticker on the bathroom mirror or on the refrigerator, but just say, Lord, thank you for this and this 
in this. Lord, thank you. And be specific. There's an old hymn that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Well, I'm going to be really honest with you this morning. I know that this is not always easy. I know it's not. But that's what we're called to do is we're called to go to that place where we would seek the shelter of God. That we would seek His peace even in anxiety. I know there, there have been times through this where I, I've felt anxiety rising up in me. It could be when I'm, I'm out walking the dog and all of a sudden somebody runs behind me without me knowing and uh, they didn't keep the social distance and all that. Or, or maybe it's in a closed space and I hear somebody cough and all of a sudden my, my thoughts just go. It comes out in lot of, lots of different ways, right? For some of us it comes out as irritation. Some of us as frustration. Some of us sarcasm here and there. It can rise up really quickly. In those moments, I know for me, the only thing that helps me is remembering the love of God and remembering those who love me. That's it. Nothing else. Where do we find the love of God? It is anchored in the presence. It is anchored in the presence of His Word. You see, that's where these two materials of the anchor come together, God's presence and God's Word, because what was Jesus called? The Word, the Logos, the Word of God made flesh to dwell among us. I invite you this morning to take your anxieties straight to Him. Dwell in His presence. Dwell on His Word. I promise you. No, He promises you that the peace of God, which transcends all human comprehension, will guard your heart and mind. It will encircle your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. People of God, don't forget, during this time and any other storm that may come your way, don't ever forget, the Lord is near. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. God, we so thank you for the way that you come to us and that you bring us your peace. That you come into our lives and you settle us in the midst of storms that circle around us. And God, you help us to see that there is indeed a horizon and you're on it. You help us to see that, that no matter where we go, no matter what we go through, Lord, that you are there, that you're with us, and you're present. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to, to claim your presence with us, to claim your nearness. I ask that you would help us to, to rejoice in the reality that you are with us. I ask you, I ask you to, to help us to, to bring all of our concerns to you, thanking you in advance and trusting you in advance for how you will work. God, I ask you to put your peace to work in each life, Lord, each life, guarding hearts and minds. Lord, you, we so thank you for the way that you come to us and that you encourage us through your word. And I pray that as we continue this journey together as your people, I pray that you will help us 
to, Lord, to not only be at peace, Lord, but to take the peace that you give us and, and f- let it flow through us to the world around us. It's in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen.